You are listening to Sheep Might Fly, a podcast of serialised fiction written and read by Tansy Rayner Roberts. And speaking of people reading fiction out loud, I want to give a shout out for my brand new Teacup Magic audiobook read by the amazing Emma Newman. Uh, It's currently up for sale on my website. It's going to be exclusively there at a very low price until the end of July. And then the price is going up to proper audiobook prices and it's going to go on to all the the platforms like Audible and all of Audible's less popular friends. Uh, yeah, so that's exciting, but it it's just so good. And I know that you guys in particular like listening to people read stories, so I thought I would shout it out to you. I know that most of you who've heard me read read the first Teacup Magic novellas myself. Uh, some time ago here on the podcast. Emma's reading is so much better. Like, she does such an amazing job. I am in awe that somebody could be such a good uh, vocal artist as well as a writer. Uh, yeah, she's she's brilliant. And she's so, so very English. <laughs> she brings that element to the story that I, as a second generation... <laughs> uh, for, you know, um, Australian, um, well, yeah, first and second. My mum was from Lancashire. I can't do the accents. Certainly can't do the posh accents. Uh, so <laughs> it is really nice. I'm so excited. I'm hoping to do books four to six with Emma for a second volume of the audiobook next year. Of course, I have to finish writing book six. A lot of things are going to finish writing this year. But, um, yeah, so Teacup Magic, the first collection audiobook. You can check it out on tanziara.com. All right, uh, this is our current serial is of Knives and Nightblooms. This is another chapter that's cut in half. I'm going to read it over the next two weeks. Sorry, not sorry. Of Knives and Nightblooms, Chapter 11, At the Reticent Wombat. A tavern, repeated Calix. She was seated in her cabin, which did have chairs at least, unlike the one shared by the assassins, where the only furniture they had was the bed. She had Nimue on one side of her, and Mardi Morenci, who'd been giving an impromptu embroidery lesson, on the other. Icaros stood before her, looking far more deferential than came naturally to him. The whole situation felt rather like Calix was a dean of college, reprimanding one of her students. Nimue clapped. I've never been to a tavern. You're not going, Icaros snapped, in unison with Calix, as if they were parents who finally agreed on something. Mardi snorted with laughter at them both. Nimue pouted. I want to drink ale and eat onion dumplings, she muttered. "'What have you been reading?' Calix asked. "'No, never mind.' She looked back to Icarus. "'Any particular reason for this sudden interest in taverns?' He twitched a little, so she knew there was something he wasn't telling her. "'I want to sift for rumours. "'We still don't know who marked you for death, "'and whether they have more attacks planned. "'Obviously you can stay on the boat in safety.' So kind, Calix murmured. His eyes flashed darker. 
Unless there's more you should have told us already. I can't protect you if I'm not prepared. It was not a question. Could not be a question. She had used her magic to prevent him from doing that. And yet somehow, with that deadpan delivery of his, he had managed to ask her... Well, he had managed to let her know exactly what he wanted to ask, and could not. Calix had no intention of indulging his curiosity. She was the one who asked questions around here. How do I know you won't try to flee, like you did at the hanging market? she inquired. I won't, Icarus said. I know better now. Let me protect you. There was not a gleam of rebellion about him, no spark of resistance. He was as sullen as ever, but he felt entirely brought to heel. Calix pressed down any guilt she felt about that. I'll come with you. He looked irritated. Then one of the others will have to join us. Someone to watch out for crossbow bolts while I'm asking questions. I quite fancy an onion dumpling, Mardi spoke up. It's decided, said Calix, smiling sweetly. Icarus did not smile back. He clearly knew when he was beaten. Dio had recovered from his strange turn after what happened at the eye of the basilisk. Everyone else still treated him like a sickly child. Somehow he ended up on babysitting duty, which meant keeping Nimue company, while she sulked about not being allowed to go ashore to the reticent wombat, a tavern at the small township built out directly onto the water. The buildings were all made of wood, oiled to be waterproof, curved and rounded everywhere that most buildings would have corners. The overall effect was that the entire township was a cluster of barrels perched on stilts. Naturally, it was well known for its alehouses. Nothing like a bit of visual advertising to make sailors thirsty. Not that sailors ever needed much encouragement to feel thirsty. Valeria disappeared the moment they docked, claiming there was a haberdashery with hair ribbons that had to be seen to be believed, though literally everyone saw her command the use of a rowboat to go directly to the rounded doorway of the local weaponsmith. She'll be less irritable after a few hours playing with Chalcedonian steel, said Icaros with a shrug. Clearly his experience at the hanging market had taught him and Calix that true escape was not possible. After Icaros, Calix and Mardi left the silken hair by way of another rowboat, heading to the reticent wombat, Dio found himself lost in idle thought. He wondered if his own passive acceptance of Calix's compulsion charm would make it easier for him to break it. To test his theory, he put some time into imagining how he might sneak away and leave them all to their adventure. No matter how hard he thought it, he couldn't make himself throw up flowers or even feel the magic twitch in reproach. Which was all well and good. But he also couldn't actually bring himself to put his escape plan into practice. Apparently the magic knew him better than he did. 
It began to rain, an especially slow and droopy rain that didn't seem worth the effort it would take to shelter from it. I could disguise myself, grumbled Nimue, flopping down onto the deck beside him. All I want to do is get a look at a real tavern, see a few locals, taste something that wasn't boiled in the same pot as all our other meals. Dio eyed her linen cap and soft, expensive robes. What kind of disguise? So on ears and a tail? Some sort of giant red nose? She rolled her eyes at him. I could borrow clothes from one of the sailors. You know they only wash their gear every few months, he warned. <laughs> Nimue looked briefly disgusted, then annoyed, then nodded slowly as if this explained quite a few things about living conditions on the ship. Deotaurus! The voice rang out across the damp decking, loud and female and carrying a familiar air of You are in so much trouble, young man! which instantly flung Dio back to his childhood. Hello, Auntie Shanif, he mumbled, getting to his feet and tidying his shirt, as a short woman in a flowery headscarf came marching over the oily dock, a small and sticky child towed in her wake. What are you doing down there? demanded his aunt. I'm working, he protested, which was true, actually. Not a convenient excuse, though there had been little discussion of recompense with his new employer. Auntie Shanneth's golden-brown face broke into a wide smile. Good to know. You couldn't pop in to see me? I didn't know you were here, Dio protested. Last he had heard, Shanneth and her three daughters, the sticky imp had to belong to one of his cousins, but Dio couldn't dredge up a name for the life of him. Anyway, they were living in Lark's Glebe in the mountains to the west. I wrote to Daphne last month. We had to move to town for Alan's work. He's a tailor, you know. Dio had no idea who Alan was. A cousin's spouse, he had to assume. I haven't been staying with Daphne for a while now. I've been up at the tea house with Auntie Beto. Oh, said Beto, my love, Auntie Shanneth squawked. And who's this lovely young lady? She gazed at, thoughtfully at Nimue with what could only be described as niece-in-law eyes. The aunties disapproved of early marriages, especially when the youngsters were not yet set up in a proper profession, but they liked to plan ahead. And besides, Dio was starting to edge out at the age group of don't you get yourself tied down too young and into isn't it about time you settle down, boy, territory. Dio's my bodyguard, piped up Nimue. Is he now? squealed Auntie, Auntie Shanneth. Aren't you coming up in the world, duck? The rain was getting more determined. Dio used his hand to keep it from dripping in his eyes, and he saw Nimue shiver a little beside him. I'm working on it, he promised her. You should get on out of the rain, Auntie Shanneth. I'll write soon, now I know where to direct it. You do that, she said, pointing at him. We have so much to catch up on. Lessie's having twins. Dio could swear he'd never met a Lessie in his life. Thanks for listening to Sheep Might Fly. You'll get the second half of this chapter next week. This podcast was recorded on Palawa land, 
I acknowledge and pay respect to the Tasmanian Aboriginal people as the traditional and continuing custodians of Lutruwita, Tasmania. Sheep Might Fly is produced and edited by Andrew Finch. You can sign up to my author newsletter for updates. Follow me on Twitter at TansyRR. And if you like this podcast, consider supporting me at Patreon, where you can receive all kinds of bonus rewards, early ebooks, and exclusive stories for a small monthly pledge. See you next week.